Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. I hope you're having a good day. Here's what we'll be talking about on today's program. We have new supply-demand numbers released yesterday from USDA. Not a lot of changes, but we'll get to some analysis of those numbers and look ahead to the uh, big planning intentions report at the end of this month. We'll talk today with Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board, and Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Also today, my conversation with Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack. We talk about a number of things, including the uh, ongoing uh, dairy dispute with Canada and his thoughts on biofuels in the overall climate policy plan by the Biden administration and his thoughts on whether or not uh, he'll be using any of that CFAP money that he has at his discretion at USDA for the biofuels industry and how he'll make decisions on how to use that money. That's part of our conversation coming up with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack on today's program. But let's start things off by going to California and talking it over with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, you've switched coasts today for us. I have. I'm, uh, I've been vaccinated for the coronavirus, and I've, I'm on my first business trip since last late last summer. Uh, so it's good to be on the road again and not just sitting in front of, a, of my laptop in my house in Washington, uh, even if it's raining out here. Of course, you know, I'm a little disappointed by the rain, but the Californians are thrilled about it. Mm-hmm. Many people on your flight mm-hmm. out to California? Uh, yes, it was a pretty full flight. Uh, huh. I took a direct flight from Washington National to uh, uh, to uh, Los Angeles uh, on Delta because they don't seat anyone next to you, uh, and the, I would say the flight was uh, the flight was fairly full. So I think a lot of people are getting out there. Uh, this re- raises questions, of course, about you know what's going to happen with the consumption of food in restaurants and other food service, uh, which is the story that I'm focusing on while I'm out here in California. As the country starts to open up, now you're in California, which isn't as open to back up as a lot of other states. What are you seeing and hearing there? Uh, well, I see that the um, that uh, uh, restaurants are fairly well occupied. They are allowing some indoor dining now. Uh uh, and the uh, the you know the outdoor dining is there uh, is there too, uh, uh, but you know it's it's always it's always hard to tell. The industry is saying everything is still you know, is still so chaotic. You know they all, the the food industry still fears more lockdowns, and uh, you know they worry that there'll be another spike and another lockdown. So it's still very very chaotic. All right. Uh, looking at some of the uh, the ag news we're watching back in Washington D.C., looks like we're getting close to getting Michael Regan confirmed as EPA administrator. Uh, yes, that, uh, that and uh, and also I think that the House is going to pass the uh, American Rescue Plan today, 
and that will go to uh, President Biden, and he'll most likely sign it before Friday uh, in order to make sure that, that uh, unemployment benefits do not get um, uh, stopped or, or uh, reduced in, in the, over the weekend. Huge bill, $1.9 trillion. Uh, It sounds like there may be more spending coming. There's talk about an infrastructure package and some other bills coming. Uh, yes, there, there is talk about that. Of course, now the, those bills will be harder to get through the Congress because they will require the 60 votes. This one they're getting through on the, uh, on the 50, 50 Democratic senators plus Kamala Harris, the vice president. So we just have to see what's happening on infrastructure. I've been so disappointed so many times on infrastructure that I you know, tend to be a little wary about whether it's really going to happen. But the country really needs an infrastructure bill, not just for roads and bridges and ports, but also to, to get more Internet service in rural America. Yeah, I'm with you. I'll believe it when I see it. But there actually is some money in this stimulus package it is passing that could help uh, the broadband issue. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. There is some money. The hardest part I find about the broadband issue is to figure out exactly where the problems are and to uh, and to get them addressed. Um, there are some places that you think might have a, a problem, like uh, in the plains. But if there are, if the internet there is in is in the hands of the rural electric uh, or telephone co-ops, the service is pretty good. Uh, and the biggest problems are in in uh, kind of hilly or mountainous areas uh, where the service is provided by the by the for-profit companies that can't make money uh, because there are too few customers in rural America. So we really do need more government involvement uh, in this. We've had a lot, but we but we need more because you just can't have a modern business if you don't have Internet service. Meanwhile, this is something we talked about on the show quite a bit yesterday, uh, the efforts to reform the H-2A visa program for ag labor. But this efforts to get that done come at a time when we have a huge issue at the uh, uh, U.S.-Mexico border and... Uh, it's kind of like infrastructure. Whenever they talk they're going to get immigration reform, I kind of fall in that category, category again of I'll believe it when I see it because it keeps bogging down uh, every time they try it. Yes, I agree. I think uh, reforming, uh, reforming H-2A and, and in general getting more uh, 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 freedom for, for ag workers to come into the country is a, is a really difficult problem. Uh, but I would say there's more of a chance now than there, uh, uh, than there has been. Uh, both the uh, agricultural employers and the uh, United Farm Workers are behind the, the bill that's been reintroduced uh, that, uh, and that did pass the House once before. Um, so I think for those people who are in agriculture who, who want a secure labor force, they really have to keep the pressure on. Unfortunately, I find that a lot of farm groups have other priorities that go ahead of, of these uh, labor rules, uh, and I don't think they keep the pressure on enough. Well, we'll see what happens this time. They got close to getting it across the line last time, but couldn't quite get there. The pandemic kind of slowed things down, among other things, but we'll see if they can do it this time. Jerry, enjoy California, and we'll talk again soon. Yes, I'll be back in Washington next week. Very good. Thank you, Jerry. Safe travels to you. Thank you. 
Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. All right, coming up next, my conversation with Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. When I first talked to him yesterday, he admitted he, when I said, it's good to talk to you again, he said, I didn't think I would be talking to you again as the Secretary of Agriculture. But uh, he's back and he's talking with the counterparts in other countries and dealing with some issues already like uh, dairy and that issue with Canada. Those uh, problems have not gone away, even with USMCA. And he's got uh, some money to decide how it's going to be used, some CFAP money. We're going to talk to him about those topics and more coming up next. Stay with us. You are listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, Travis Arp, Senior Director of Export Services and Access for the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Tell us about this situation. What's causing this congestion? The issue at the West Coast Forest, I would say, is one that's been getting more complicated over the last couple months, and there's a a few different factors that lead to that. Uh, First and foremost, you've got uh, the pandemic-related issues uh, with labor and limited availability of of longshoremen to get those boats turned around, offloaded, and reloaded with U.S. exports. That's really created a bit of a a backlog and and congestion to where containers that are coming in, uh, particularly agriculture goods, would be coming in by rail from the Midwest. Uh, don't necessarily have a vessel to get on when they arrive at the port, and so they're having to sit there and and wait for the opportunity to get loaded and and put on a boat to be exported uh, to some of these key Asian markets. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. 
a public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Happy to have back with us Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack. Mr. Secretary, seems like old times. Good to do this again. Well, Mike, I can't think of a better person to do it with than you, so I'm happy to be back uh, back with you in the, in the capacity as a former and present, and present secretary. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, so many things I want to talk to you about. Uh, um, what's it like getting back to USDA? I know you've been talking to ag groups. You've been talking with uh, your counterparts in other countries. Kind of give us a feel for this uh, settling in process you're going through, hitting the ground running. Well, I'll tell you, Mike, I think one advantage of having had this job before is that you know what's important. Uh, so it's important to reach out to ag ministers and, and secretaries, as I did in Canada and Mexico, to reaffirm the commitment to USMCA and basically suggest that we want to make sure that it's followed through and, and uh, implemented properly. Discussions today with the EU uh, uh, commissioner as well uh, to make sure they understand and appreciate that we, we have significant differences in agriculture and they need to be resolved. So that's one area. Um, you know, we've got the budget that we are working on to make sure we've got adequate resources to really help farmers uh, and ranchers during a very difficult time. Uh, we're fortunate we're seeing markets uh, improve a little bit. Uh, but candidly, Mike, we've got a lot of work to do to, to make sure that there's enough profitability in farming for farms of all sizes. 89.6% uh, of farms don't make the majority of their income from farming operations. I mean, just think about that. That means those farmers are working off-farm jobs. Their spouses are working jobs. I mean, it's tough. And so we've got to figure out more markets and better markets and new, and new markets. And that's, uh, that's what I've been focused on the first week or so that I've been on the job. You come back to the job having been uh, president and CEO of the U.S. Dairy Export Council. You worked uh, so closely on these dairy issues, such as with Canada. You mentioned USMCA. We're still having issues with Canada or the uh, dairy tariff quota, uh, dairy tariff rate quotas. What can you tell us there about being able to get this addressed? Well, first and foremost was to make sure that I that I explained to our Canadian friends that it is our intent and expectation that the agreement be followed and also working closely with uh, the United States Trade Representative's office and when we have a trade representative uh, working with her uh, to make sure that the consultation process and the enforcement processes of, of US, uh, USMCA are used if, in fact, Canada doesn't do the tariff rate quotas the way they should have done and if they don't do the pricing system pr properly. Uh, we've got a column on it. We've got a column on it early. Um, that's certainly part of it. And it's also true in Mexico, uh, making sure that they live up to the responsibilities, uh, that we don't create unnecessary barriers uh, as a way of trying to uh, protect uh, domestic producers uh, at a way that would be uh, contrary to the terms and conditions of USMCA. So it's working closely with USTR to make sure it's implemented properly. Do, does Canada seem receptive to dialogue and addressing this issue? Well, I would say that it's going to be necessary for us to continue to push hard. I don't think it's something that, that they will easily commit to because the, uh, uh, the dairy uh, industry in that country is incredibly strong and um, politically, uh, and it's very difficult 
uh, for them to accept uh, what the country negotiated in, in the USMCA. So it's, I don't think it's going to be easy, uh, but we have to keep working at it, and we have to make it work. You've kind of inherited some uh, discretionary funds uh, through relief packages uh, that you can use and make decisions on how they're used. The biofuels industry is certainly seeking some help and support uh, with those funds. Have you made a decision yet on where that money's going to be going? We haven't, Mike, but, but we are close to making that decision. And the reason why it's taken some time, uh, in addition to the fact that uh, you know it took me a while to get through the confirmation process, is that there are so many areas of agriculture that feel that they were either left out totally or left out uh, and not compensated uh, to the to the extent that their losses uh, would suggest. So we need to do an inventory. We need to make sure we have a very good, clear understanding of how many interests in agriculture need to be addressed with these relief packages, then compare it to the resources that are available, find out whether or not there are any other programs that could be used beyond COVID uh, to provide help and assistance and then create sort of an uh, all-encompassing approach to this. Now, you mentioned biofuels. That's a good example. Uh, there was an infrastructure uh, program that uh, Secretary Purdue announced that was similar to one that I had uh, launched when I was secretary, but it was a bit more restrictive in terms of which uh, convenience stores and uh, gas stations could actually uh, get the resources to expand access to higher blends. Uh, so maybe there are ways in which we can look at that program maybe loosen it up a little bit from the standpoint of what the standards are so that we get more uh, fueling stations out there that are able to pump higher blends. Uh, That's critically important, I think, and and that could be of help to the industry in addition to looking at ways in which they can provide some financial assistance. So it's a combination of all those things. takes a little time. Um, And meanwhile, we're still accepting applications. We're still being advised about areas that we may not have thought about in the supply chain that need help and assistance. We'll let folks know what the plan is. We'll give people 30 days, an additional 30 days after that to make application. If they haven't yet made application, then we'll start figuring out how to uh, uh, allocate the resources. And the, the, one of the challenges, Mike, with this is that for those who are going to, who have already received payments, it's fairly easy to make a payment because that system's already in place. But if, it, if you're talking about folks who haven't received any help, you have to set up a whole system. You have to go through a rulemaking process. That takes a little time. So, it's going to take a little bit of time. People need to be patient. Here's the goal. The goal is at the end of the day, we want to make sure we've helped as many people as fairly and equitably as possible through this incredibly difficult time we've all experienced. You have been a big supporter of biofuels and still are. Um, with this push that's obvious, it's a priority for the uh, Biden administration uh, on climate policy and climate issues, uh, the biofuels industry certainly wondering is the push going to be all towards something like electric vehicles or will uh, the biofuels industry's role in achieving these uh, goals be uh, be a part of the plan and acknowledged as being a part of the plan? Well, when the president campaigned, uh, he basically indicated support, as you mentioned, for electric vehicles, but he also mentioned support for the renewable fuel standard and for the biofuel industry. So I don't think it's mutually, I don't think they're mutually exclusive. I think they're actually uh, two, two prongs, if you will, in addressing the issue of climate. Uh, and, the, and the biofuel prong, basically, the, the, the proof is in. Studies have shown that the biofuel industry is significantly better from a greenhouse gas emission uh, uh, standard than regular gas. So we obviously want to continue to utilize that biofuel in our, in our transportation fuels. Uh, we're we're going to have 
uh, vehicles that need the transportation fuel for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's not as if everyone's going to turn their car in tomorrow and, mm -hmm. and buy an electric vehicle. We don't have the, the, the uh, charging stations out there. We don't have the cars uh, constructed. General Motors is, is going to continue to, uh, for the next 15 years, to produce uh, uh, cars that need, uh, need, need fuel. Uh, and if we're serious about extending miles and we want more miles to the gallon, that's about high octane. You can't get that high octane unless you utilize um, uh, biofuels and ethanol. So I think there are many reasons why this is going to be a complementary situation as opposed to uh, one, one, you know, one way or, 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 or the other. When do you expect a decision on um, taking over regulation of biotech animal products? Well, I, I will admit to you that that is not an issue that has uh, I've had a chance to get briefed on. Um, I would imagine uh, that will take a while. Uh, if history is any uh, is any uh, guide, uh, those kinds of decisions that involve multiple agencies, different agencies, uh, do do uh, you know do do take time. Uh, I think the Department of Agriculture under Secretary Purdue did a pretty good job of basically saying. Uh, you know, this is an area that we definitely need to be engaged in, involved in, and we need to be basically helping to lead. Uh, and I would certainly expect us to continue that approach. You've made it very clear that you're going to address the discrimination issue uh, against minority farmers. How are you going to address that? Well, here's the issue, Mike. I mean, th there's absolutely no question. We, we have proof that over a period of decades, uh, minority farmers uh, either didn't receive loans or they received loans late in the planting season or they received loans with a higher interest rate, which basically made it hard for them to remain competitive. So you have to address the gap because you want to maintain as many people on the land as you possibly can. So the way you address it, and the American Rescue Plan that's working its way through Congress and hopefully gets to the president's desk, uh, by reducing and eliminating the debt uh, that many of these farmers have incurred. Secretary of Agriculture Tom Vilsack, as he's addressing a number of issues uh, right here at the beginning of his uh, second stint at USDA. Up next, we will go over yesterday's USDA supply demand numbers and get some analysis of them and look ahead to the planning intentions report later this month. Up next, we'll talk with Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. You're listening to AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. 
own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. Gray markets are mixed with lower row crops and mostly higher wheat contracts ahead of the March WASDE report. The grain space has been especially erratic lately, which could change once the USDA gets their latest predictions out of the way. On the Board of Trade May corn trading four and three quarters lower at 5.42 and a half cent. The July contract down four and three quarters at 5.31 and a quarter. For soybeans, the May contract down three and a fraction at 14.30 and three quarters. The July contract down three cents at 14.15 and a fraction. For the wheats, Chicago wheat may up six and three quarters at 6.53. Kansas City wheat may up a penny at 6.22 and three quarters. Minneapolis spring wheat may up three and three quarters at 6.45 and a half cent. The July contract up three and a half cent at 6.51 and three quarters. The strength of livestock futures showed the resiliency of the market. However, cash cattle may have a difficult time seeing higher prices unless box beef prices perform better than they have recently. In cash cattle country, some early asking prices are starting out at $116 per hundredweight in the south, but have yet to be established in the north. Significant trade volume will likely be delayed until the second half of this week. Hogs continue to show surprising strength with packers bidding actively for hogs. For lean hog futures, the April contract trading a dollar two higher at 88.32. The May contract up a dollar at 90.67. For feeders, the March contract up a dollar at 136.35. The April contract up a dollar ten at 140.77. For live cattle, April up 57 at 119.92. The June contract up 45 at 119.60. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 172 points, the Nasdaq composite up 421, the S&P 500 up 60, the U.S. dollar index is trending lower. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. USDA did not make many changes in their World Ag Supply and Demand Estimates report on Tuesday. Corn ending stocks estimated at $1.5 billion. Soybeans held at $120 million. Wheat ending stocks projected at $836 
million bushels. It was expected to be a quiet report. It was. Let's talk about it, though, with Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. Mac, thanks for joining us. Uh, so no real surprises here in this report, right? Well, let's not go that far, Mike, and, and thank you for having <laughs> me. Um, you know, it, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, not a lot of changes here on the U.S. balance sheet. Whole bean and meal literally uh, unchanged from February, which is not entirely surprising. I mean, we had the major updates last month and in January. January, we came uh, to true up the crop size in February, uh, some upward uh, revisions to exports, which also helped take down ending stocks. But, um, you know, on the U.S. side, the one part where the balance sheets um, did, did have, uh, you know, maybe not a large in magnitude, but a notable change was a, a reduction in the export forecast for soybean oil. They took it out down by 150 million pounds. Uh, and that was more than counterbalanced by an uptick in uh, food feed and other industrial use of 200 million pounds. Ordinarily, I wouldn't call that out. But I think what's exciting about it is, um, you know, that's reflective of uh, new and, and growing demand we're seeing in the renewable diesel sector, uh, where soy oil is, is of course, a, a critical input there. And uh, when USDA uh, issues its first balance sheets for the 21-22 uh, marketing year in May, uh, they'll be carving out a line item for uh, renewable diesel as well. So, you know, uh, market observers uh, like me and, and many others, I think, will be excited to have that additional line of granularity, particularly as it pertains to soy markets. I found it interesting that USDA raised Brazil's soybean production a little bit from 133 million tons to 134 million tons compared to last month, um, even though they're having some weather challenges there. Yeah, and, and really this time of year, uh, South American production is what I'm looking at uh, most acutely in these reports to see, you know, where that goes. And, and the, the upward revision for Brazil, um, you know, maybe a little bit of a surprise, but not entirely, simply because, you know, you look at the, the market expectations from analysts surveyed and, you know, 134 was within the range of expectations. You know, Brazil is still expecting a very, very large crop. Yes, there's been uh, you know, delays that have really plagued it throughout the season. And now there's some untimely rains, which are, you know, limiting field work. Um, harvest is still pretty slow. Uh, but, you know, in magnitude, it's still probably going to be a very, very large crop. Uh, the question is, of course, uh, with that additional moisture coming in, what does that mean for quality? You know, it's one thing to have the volume there. Um, it's another thing to have, uh, you know, quality bean that can be crushed and, and, and fed globally and, and compete. So, um so that, that'll be something, I think, that we have to watch in the coming months. Now, Argentina, after a month of not being revised down, I think the first time since October, was taken down another half million uh, metric tons to 47.5 million. Uh, that, of course, is, is driven by you know, persistent dryness that has been felt throughout the season. Uh, some of the um, you know, 7- to 14-day forecasts are projecting more dryness in Argentina. We could see additional revisions downward. Uh, certainly some local commentators are saying that. So on balance, you look at the combined Brazil and Argentina balance sheets, yeah, really only up a half million metric tons uh, in, in total production. And, and most of that's going to, or all of that really, is going to get absorbed by incremental uh, crush demand as there were revisions there for both Argentina and Brazil. And what's the latest that you're seeing down there, uh... As you mentioned, it's been wet in Brazil, dry in Argentina. Are those patterns continuing? Well, it's it. I mean, I, I keep waiting for things to to break a little bit. And you hear 
uh, news here and there about timely rains coming in uh, in parts of Argentina or, you know, maybe some uh, dryness setting in that, that helps alleviate some of the moisture in Brazil. But that, that really appears to be kind of spotty just from some of the weather reports and, and uh, you know, local estimates that I've seen. Uh, really, the, the pervading theme here is, you know, untimely rains in, in Brazil and, uh, and that continued dryness, of course, in Argentina. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, the, the Argentine crop is still... You know, as I said, harvest is, um, you know, not, not really kicked off yet. Um, you know, a very small percentage of the crop has reached full maturity at this point. Brazil, as of last week, was only 35% harvested. So, you know, we're still a ways away from, you know, seeing what those crops truly look like. We've got a clearer picture, certainly in volume terms, but uh, in terms of, you know, the crop quality, moisture level, um, that, that's still, you know, to be determined. We're talking with Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. So we watched the situation in South America. Meanwhile, the tensions keeps growing uh, on the March 31st planning intentions report that USDA will be releasing. And I guess uh, it's kind of going to be a build up to to the end of the month, right? To till we get those numbers and see what USDA says. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's the next major report that markets are going to be looking for. I mean, every year, March 31st. Um, that's, you know, the first survey-based estimate we have of um, what farmers are going to put in the ground. USDA, of course, in their Ag Outlook Forum last month said we'd be looking at 90 million acres of beans, which, you know, would be slightly under the 2017 record when we planted 90.2 million. Um, they're also expecting, you know, more area for corn to come in. And, and really, if we look at the last two years, we had so much prevent planting. Um, it's, it's really those, uh, those acres that didn't get planted in the last two years, you know, because of weather issues that are coming back in and uh, enabling, uh, you know, potentially record uh, row crop planted area, certainly at least between uh, corn and beans. And, you know, fortunately, uh, we've got a good price environment for, for new crop here. I'm, I'm actually watching on my uh, my uh, terminal here and seeing some of the prices flicker around, and we're seeing a little bit of a narrowing between that new crop and old crop spread. Uh, you know, new crop beans, of course, pricing lower than, than old crop here, but with that spread narrowing, you know, um, the uh, the opportunities for, I, I think, pricing and, uh, and marketing um, for, for new crop beans, you know, look pretty favorable right now. What are you expecting on soybean acres? Uh, do you think it'll be above 90? I, I think that's a reasonable estimate. I mean, we were at 83 and change last year, and, um, you know, the price signals are certainly there, and there's certainly the incremental area to be brought back in out of that aforementioned pre-event planting. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, high 80s, and, and we could approach 90 definitely. Um, the, the market is calling for it. You look at where we are with balance sheets. Of course, that was on change from last month. We're still at expected carryout of 120 million bushels, you know, 3% stocks to use ratio. And anytime we've got, you know, that kind of tightness, um, obviously you've got market signals sent through pricing that are calling for more area, but the magnitude of what that area increases is also going to be predicated on what that absolute level is. And uh, with a level that low, I think, um, you know, seeing six to seven million acre expansion relative to last year is probably not uh, out of the realm of possibility. So I'd say 90 is definitely, there's potential for that. But the market is also uh, perhaps signaling to other commodities for acres for them as well. I mean, a lot of competition for those acres this time. It, it's true. It's true. Um, but, you know, with a lot of farmers that, you know, I've been talking to and hearing from anecdotally, 
Um, you know, it's going to be, you know, relative, you know, similar rotation, at least uh, in terms of corn beans that, you know, you, you typically have, it's just bringing, you know, more area in as, as is, um, you know, I think customer, anytime we're in a good price environment, uh, you know, it's, it's great for farmers to have choices and opportunities uh, to help, you know, diversify and, and de-risk uh, some of the vagaries of the market. Um, you know, of course, uh, we want to see beans be, uh, going into the ground, but, uh, you know, the fact that farmers are able to price into uh, or, or plant into a, a positive price environment across a, a number of row crops is certainly positive for U.S. agriculture. With tight stocks and already some dry concerns in parts of uh, the U.S., uh, what are we looking at as far as how volatile a weather market we could have this year uh, if we do continue to see this dry weather pattern? Well, um, you know, we get a lot smarter as the year goes on. Um, you know, it, I think it's probably still too early to say. It, it really matters what we're looking at in July and August in terms of, you know, uh, crop maturation and development. It depends what sort of heat stress is going on there. And, you know, I, I, I might be a market commentator, um, and I'm, I'm wrong plenty of times, but the only way I could be more wrong is if I was, uh, is if I was a weatherman. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, I'm, I'm not going to make any bets now, uh, in terms of, you know, what weather is going to do for crop maturation later in the season. But, um, but it's certainly, uh, not to overstate the obvious, but it's certainly something that matters and will bear monitoring, you know, really acutely in the, in those, you know, key maturation phase in July and August across much, uh, much of the country. Needless to say, there'll be some uh, good marketing opportunities, price opportunities this year, but some big decisions to be made by producers. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, that's that's I think what's you know really exciting about this time of year. Now, you know, a lot of order books have already been you know fulfilled, and you know, for most part, I think um, decisions are made on planting. But there's always you know those couple weeks leading up to final decisions. You know, that's when weather plays a role as well. You know, if you wanted to have corn in the ground, but it winds up being wet, you get delayed, and, you know, you plant soybeans. We've certainly haven't seen that happen in wet springs in the past. I'm not saying that's what's going to happen now, but there's always, uh, you know, kind of these, you know, last uh, last mile or, you know, last uh, couple week uh, effects where, you know, on the margins, you can see trade-offs in area. It'll be interesting. Mac, always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. We'll talk again after the uh, planning intentions report out at the end of the month. Perfect. Looking forward to it, Mike. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board. Up next, more thoughts on yesterday's USDA supply-demand report. We'll talk more about South America and look ahead to plantings here in the U.S. Naomi Bloom will join us, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Up next on AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. 
Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. 
Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Adams on Agriculture is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Let's get some more thoughts on yesterday's USDA supply demand report. Naomi Bloom is with us. Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, good to talk with you again. I guess uh, this one, no one expected fireworks. Uh, already the attention going to the end of the month when the planning intentions uh, report will come out. But uh, any takeaways for you from uh, the supply-demand report? Well, to me, the report just continues to affirm the notion that ending stocks are tight. And yes, trade was looking for maybe just some slight reductions, but you know, no changes on the report says to me that the USDA wants to get a better handle on South American production for sure. So they wanted to give themselves another month. And then um, the demand, though, is just there. Because some people had thought maybe the USDA would try to massage the demand numbers to maybe make ending stocks a little bit larger. But I think that the picture overall is still friendly. Even though the markets are a little lower today, we're still range-bound for corn and soybeans. And again, long-term outlook, is still friendly. Now, just like you said, we wait till the end of the month when we get quarterly stocks and those final planting acre numbers. Uh, let's talk a little bit about South America, wet in Brazil, dry in Argentina. Uh, any reason to think they won't have big crops? Well, the USDA yesterday um, did some massaging to those numbers. They tried to make the corn crop a little bit bigger um, with, the, with the beans in Brazil getting a little bit larger. But we are hearing, and I, I'm sure you've heard this too, that in some parts of Brazil where it has been so wet, the soybeans were starting to rot within the pod. So that can be a bigger issue to be aware of going forward. The reason we're down today, they put some dryness in the forecast for Brazil, and they put a little bit of rain in the forecast for Argentina. So that gave the traders a reason to push prices down to the lower end of trading range. But I think it's still a little too soon to tell. And of course, trade is really watching the planting pace of second crop corn in Brazil, and then also the weather conditions for that corn crop. So it is a weather market right now. It just happens to be South American weather that uh, most of the markets are watching, right? Yeah, that's absolutely what we have going on right now. And as far as demand goes, I think we're going to see an increase in demand for corn use for ethanol. We heard yesterday that China is now potentially looking for some DDGs in addition to ethanol. And, and so we just have this great demand story still to talk about in the bigger picture. But more and more of the discussion as we get closer to March 31st will be the planting intentions. And uh, where do you think we're going to come at as far as look compared to the 92.90 that we got from the Outlook Forum? Do you think that's pretty much the range we're looking at on corn and soybean acres? Well, traditionally, when the USDA comes out with their Outlook Forum numbers in February to the March 31st numbers, 
there's not too many major switches or guesses from that February number. So I don't think that we're going to see a lot of big action because of the planted acres number. There's already talk that with as early of a spring as it might be, that corn maybe gets some extra acres that it was planning mm -hmm. on. Um, so that's something to be mindful of. But I don't know that we re really understand that until the June acres report. So I guess, no, I'm not looking for any, any big changes on that March 31st report for the planted acres. But I do want to, I'm very curious to see what the USDA throws at us for the quarterly stocks number. Yeah, you know, traditionally, th the thinking is a dry early spring, farmers like to plant corn, they just keep planting corn. Uh, if it's wet, that might get some corn acres pushed to soybeans. If it's a later planting, uh, it'll be interesting to see if that holds true this year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I just talked with some producers out in western North Dakota. They are chomping at the bit because it's so dry out there and the, all the snow is pretty much gone. Uh, so I know a lot of producers are anxious to get going, especially with as great as prices that we have right now. Farming is actually fun again, so I know they want to get out there. How closely are the markets watching things like the drought monitor map and the dry weather concerns in the U.S.? Is it too early for them to get very uh, worked up about that? Um, it's a mixed answer. I think in the in the short term, the market is very much aware of it because the drought monitor is worse than it was in 2012 at the same time. So I think that's keeping the market supported because normally we would see a price slide for corn and soybeans during the month of March. But because even with the increase of acres to be planted this spring, we're you know assuming at this moment pretty much trendline yield. And so we're very remembering what happened in 2012 with that drought. So I think we are seeing the market hold some premium because of that. We're seeing the new crop prices start to work higher. And I think for new traders coming into the market, they want to be part of the December 21 corn story and the November 21 bean story. Just thinking that if we do have weather issues this summer, they're getting in while those values are still cheaper on the board. What are you expecting with wheat and sorghum and, and cotton acres? That, I think, is going to be last-minute switching, depending on weather, primarily. Talking with producers in Kansas, they have told us flat out if they don't like how the wheat's coming out of dormancy, that they've got no problems putting it into sorghum or corn instead, depending on the part of Kansas that they're in. Um, and down south with the cotton acres, I think there's still some potential switching there as well as far as um, where prices are at for for the beans versus the cotton. Um, and even up in, in North Dakota, I think the, the, the flirtation that's going to be there now is that the canola prices are so fantastic. Um, so now they have the opportunity to plant canola. They can plant soybeans and then, of course, that spring wheat. So the story's not over with yet. We've got a lot to keep an eye on in the coming months. Yeah, a lot of questions. We're getting closer to some answers, but we're not quite there yet. Naomi, as always, good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Well, coming up on tomorrow's program, what's in this stimulus package that could help our rural health care system? And how are vaccinations going at the, our rural health care centers across the country? Have we lost more rural hospitals? We'll go over all that with Brock Slayball with the National Rural Health Association. Also, Dan Hallstrom. 
President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation will join us. We'll have the latest meat export numbers and more on these markets as we head now towards that March 31st planning intentions report. Arlen Suderman with StoneX will be joining us as well. That and more coming up tomorrow. Hope you'll join us. Be safe, everyone. This is AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.